Thank you for choosing the podcast of East Haven Baptist Church in Brookhaven, Mississippi. For more information on the ministries of East Haven and to access videos and sermon notes from our services, visit www.easthaven.net. We talk about Christmas. One of we sing all of these Christmas songs. One of them being uh, the name of the Advent guide that we have out there at the welcome desk. Joy to the world, and it's important to understand there's joy to the world. It's joy to not just a message for one individual group of people. It is joy to the world. It is a message for the nations, and that's what we want to reflect upon today. That. God sending his son was not just for Israel. The intent was for that message to go out to the nations. And that was always his intent. So this morning as we begin, I would just like us to read a few verses from Psalm 96. The psalmist writes, Oh, sing to the Lord a new song. Sing to the Lord all the earth. Sing to the Lord, bless his name, tell of his salvation from day to day. Declare his glory among the nations, his marvelous works among all the peoples. For great is the Lord and greatly to be praised. He is to be feared above all gods. For all the gods of all the peoples are worthless idols, but the Lord made the heavens. Splendor and majesty are before him. Strength and beauty are in his sanctuary. Ascribe to the Lord, O families of the peoples, ascribe to the Lord glory and strength. Ascribe to the Lord the glory. Do his name. Bring an offering and come into his courts. Worship the Lord in the splendor of holiness. Tremble before him all the earth. Say among the nations, The Lord reigns. Yes, the world is established. It shall never be moved. He will judge the peoples with equity. Let's pray. Lord God, we come before you this morning. And as we come before you, we recognize that you are the creator of all things, that you are the the sovereign Lord God, that you are the sustainer of our lives. You are the one who holds the universe together. And Father, we pray this morning as we reflect upon the reality of, that your heart is for the nations. And the reason that you sent your son is not localized to one nation, but it is a message that is to be spread. I pray that you might speak very clearly from your word to us. And we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. When you look in the Bible, you find that God's heart is for the nations. It's not just for one nation, it is for, now granted, Israel, he has set his love upon Israel, absolutely, but his love is, his heart is for the nations, and therefore the hearts of his followers must be for the nations. Because if God's heart is for the nations, and my heart is aligned with God's heart, then my heart should be for the nations as well. This was always the plan. When you go all the way back into Genesis and you find that God calls Abraham and he calls him out of a land of idol worship, he calls him out of a land of all sorts of, uh, of astrology and, and elevating that, he, he calls Abraham and whenever he makes the promise with Abraham, listen to what God tells him. This is Genesis 26.4. I will multiply your offspring as the stars of the heaven. I will give to your offspring all these lands 
And in your offspring, all the nations of the earth shall be blessed. In your offspring, Abraham, all the nations of the earth shall be blessed. It won't just stop with you. Now, granted, we can look at Israel and we can see how Israel has blessed the world, but specifically when he's talking about this, he's going just beyond the nation of Israel and he's talking about Christ himself. The, the, the gift of Jesus himself is going to be a gift to the nations. All the nations of the world will be blessed in you. So we find that God's heart is for the nations. And if my heart is aligned with God's heart, then my heart will be for the nations as well. You, you go all the way into the New Testament and you look at Galatians. Listen to what Paul writes about this promise. And this is Galatians 3.8. And the scripture foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles, that's non-Jews, that's you, that's me, would justify the Gentiles by faith, preach the gospel beforehand to Abraham saying, in you shall all the nations be blessed. Paul draws a straight line from the message of the gospel to the promise made to Abraham. In you all the nations will be blessed. And Paul says, this is a foreshadowing, this is a hint, hint, wink, wink, nod, nod to the reality of the gospel. That it's not a message that is just going to be localized to one people, Israel, but it is to go from them to all people, to all nations. All nations are to know because the heart of the Father is for the nations. Listen to Psalm 2. Verse 7, I will tell of the decree. The Lord said to me, you are my son. Today I have begotten you. Ask of me and I will make the nations your heritage and the ends of the earth your possession. You look over in the book of Revelation and you find the ultimate fulfillment of this. That all the kingdoms ultimately belong to Christ. All of the nations of the world belong to Jesus and the heart of the Father is for the nations. Listen to this beautiful passage in Isaiah chapter 49. This is verse 6. He says, It is too light a thing that you should be my servant to raise up the tribes of Jacob and to bring back the preserved of Israel. I will make you as a light for the nations that my salvation may reach the end of the earth. God's saying it's just too little of a thing just to keep this message localized. It's too small of a thing that it remain with this one group of people. It's too little of a thing that I just reach this people because my plan is to go beyond that so that his glory might be seen, so his glory might be st spread through all the nations, so his heart is for the nations. And again, if our hearts are wrapped up with his heart, then our hearts will be for the nations as well. We will be able to say joy to the world. Over in Matthew chapter 4, we find sort of this New Testament parallel. We find multiple instances in the New Testament where we find that Jesus is, is clearly saying that the plan of God includes the Gentiles, the non-Jews. And that the non-Jews are to be brought into this kingdom. Listen to Matthew chapter 4, verse 13. 
And leaving Nazareth, he went and lived in Capernaum by the sea in the territory of Zebulun and Naphtali, so that what was spoken by the prophet Isaiah might be fulfilled. The land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali, the way of the sea beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles, the people dwelling in darkness have seen a great light, and for those dwelling in the region and shadow of death, on them a light has dawned. From that time, Jesus began to preach, saying, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. So Jesus goes to this land, this place north of Jerusalem. He goes up to the Galilee region where there are all these Gentiles, all these non-Jews living, and he goes up there and begins to preach, showing, fulfilling the prophecy that Isaiah had made that it was that this message would be a light to the nations. This message would bring light to a people who were dwelling in darkness. They didn't have this understanding that the Jews had. They didn't have these prophecies of the Old Testament. They didn't have all these promises that had been made to them. No, they were in darkness. They were dwelling in darkness. Now, before we say something like this, well, that's great for people to be concerned about the nations, but I'm just really not that concerned about the nations. Can I just tell you something? We are of the nations, which means the only reason that you're here today as a follower of Christ, worshiping the one true God, is because somebody was concerned about the nations in the past. That's the only reason. That is the reason somebody fulfilled the great commission in making Christ known and making the message of salvation known so that we could know him. That's the whole point. So we find if our heart is wrapped up with the heart of the Father and aligned with the heart of the Father, then our heart will be for the nations as well. So what does that look like? Well, this brings us to our next idea. The plan of the heavenly kingdom is to spread the gospel to every earthly nation. That's the plan of the heavenly kingdom. The plan of God's kingdom is to spread the gospel to every earthly nation. That's it. And I know sometimes we say, yeah, 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 but what about, what about our nation? Well, that's why we're here. We are here to make Christ known, not only here locally, but also abroad. That's what we're called to do. And you may say, well, I'm not really worried about the other nations. I'm really worried about this nation. If, remember, if you're, if you're consumed and wrapped up with and aligned with the heart of the Father, you'll be concerned about the other nations. There, there's really no option with that. Listen to what Jesus says. This is the Great Commission, Matthew 28, verse 18. And Jesus came and said to them, all authority in heaven and on earth have been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you, and behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Notice how Jesus brackets that command. He says, go and make disciples of all the nations. He brackets that command, the book ends. First of all, he says, all authority has been given to me. So therefore, he has the full authority to send people out and to issue the command, go and make disciples. He's the one who establishes that plan. He's the one who says, you go as my ambassador. You go and make me known. 
It's not a suggestion. It's a commission. But then he bookends it at the end with, the, with this continued presence. So he starts out by talking about his authority and giving the command, and then he ends with, but you're not going to do it by yourself. I'm going to be with you. I'm going to be with you to the end of the age. I'm going to equip you in order to do this. It's the same idea of what we talked about last week about the Holy Spirit coming and indwelling us and enabling us to be those types of ambassadors that God has called us to be. It's why we looked last week at the coming of the Holy Spirit and Jesus told him, don't leave Jerusalem, stay in Jerusalem, wait until the Holy Spirit comes. Wait for the promise of the Father. Don't try to do this on your own because we understand that the heavenly kingdom, the plan of the heavenly kingdom is to spread the gospel to every earthly nation. You find in Acts chapter 1 verse 8, we looked at this last week, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. That's the plan of the heavenly kingdom to spread the gospel to every earthly nation. It's been said that we are all involved or should be involved in international missions in one and or two ways. We either go, we go on an international mission trip, we go and we make him known, or we give and or we give so that others can go. Maybe you can't go yourself, but we can give. We can give and help others to go and accomplish this plan, thus being a part of the plan to make Jesus known to the nations because that's the heavenly plan, to make him known in every earthly nation. So what does that look like? What does that look like in quote-unquote real world? What does that look like practical application boots on the ground? Well, I'd like to introduce you to someone that we support here as a church. We support uh, numerous missionaries, but I want to introduce you to to David White. If you want to join me here on stage, make David welcome, if you would. So David's going to take a moment, and he's going to share with you, what does it look like? What does he do? How, How is it that by our giving to international missions, what does that accomplish in the realm of the kingdom? So, David, the floor is yours, my friend. Amen. Thank you, brother. Well, first of all, I want to say thank you to, to the entire church from behalf of the International Mission Board and our family. Many of you may not know it, but your family has had a direct impact in Guatemala, where my wife and I serve with our two boys, Cruz and Ben, who are with your children's ministry at this time. We've had the pleasure of being in your church before, but it's been a good number of years back. But uh, even this past year, your church has had an impact in Guatemala. You may not know it, but you sent direct funding during the time of COVID when we needed it to help uh, for food relief issues where many people were out of work and needed assistance, just like you guys were struggling here as well. And we had a lot of issues with our COVID and our churches trying to meet restrictions in order to remain open. And we were able to use some of the financing that you guys sent uh, through your missions ministry to, to help assist them with cleaning supplies and disinfectants so that they could remain open and meet current guidelines and such as that. So on behalf of uh, our churches in Guatemala, we say thank you for your participation in that. 
On behalf of the IMB, we say thank you for giving to your Lottie Moon. We know that you guys are a faithful Lottie Moon church. And uh, why, do, why do people talk about Lottie Moon? Uh, well, that offering was named after a former missionary who begged the home office for more workers. And so uh, they said, well, we need more money. And so they ended up big, big naming the offering, the Lottie Moon offering. And so in, on, on behalf of her appeal to have more missionaries, every year it's in her honor and memory now that we continue to make the appeal to support our current workers as well as to send more missionaries around the world. And so uh, that offering is designated for all foreign field expenses. So we get the most bang for our buck through Lottie Moon Christmas giving because it's designated for the foreign field. It's not hung up in the office in Virginia through bureaucratic red tape and paying administration costs and things like that. And so that's why we always ask you to heavily support that offering. For our family, it keeps us uh, in a home. It allows us a vehicle to drive and do ministry. We, we, we never have an abundance of funds, but we never have a lack of funds to do ministry on the field. We've, we've never written our supervisor and not been able to get funding to go where we needed to go. And that is because of the people who support us as Southern Baptists, like your church. And so we say thank you for that. Brother Dustin was talking about giving and going, and uh, we've added to that. And so we invite you now to pray, to give, to go, or to send. And so we want you to pick one of those, and we want every Baptist to pick one of those, and we want you to do it well. If you're going to commit to be a prayer partner to someone, then pray for them. Don't just like their post on Facebook. You pray for them. Don't just click it and say, we're going to do that, or write them and say in the message that we're going to do that. You write it, and you pause, and you do it. You follow through with it. You spend those few moments praying, and you pray well. Those of you who are financially stable and can give, give, and you give well. And you be faithful to that. And allow God to continue to bless you. Those of you who may can go. A few members of your church have been down with us in Guatemala before in the past. And if the Lord allows this next year or in 2023, we'd like to see you back again. We've arranged trips in the past. And due to COVID, like everything else, they, were, they had to be canceled due to restrictions and things such as that. But right after the service, we're going to meet in the back for anybody that has questions about that. And what that may look like going forward, we'll have a meeting with Brother Phil and myself and my wife to answer any questions about that. But we'd like to invite you to go. And then lastly, we'd like to invite your church to continue to send people. Call out the called and support them with your financial gifts and your prayers and your hearts and keep them on the field. I know people from this church have been on the mission field before and are currently on the mission field. And I'd like to ask you to continue to call out the call from some of these children that walked out of this room and some of the students that are in your church because we come from Kapai County, Mississippi. We're homegrown, folks. Even from right here, people go to the mission field. Don't forget that. It could be someone from your neighborhood, someone from your family, and we invite you to send them. So pray, go, give, and send. And then lastly, I've been challenging people this year from the parable of Matthew 13, 6 through 9, where Jesus was teaching his disciples and he said, 
vineyard owner came to his vineyard and said, I've planted this fig tree three years ago and I've been coming every year looking for fruit on it and I've not found it. Cut it down. Why should it take up place in my garden? But the gardener interceded on behalf of that fig tree and said, wait a minute, give it another year. Let me fertilize it. Let me dig around it. Let me take care of it for one year. And if it doesn't bear fruit, then cut it down. That little parable reminds us of a few things that we don't have all the time in the world and that God indeed does want his fruit, his garden, his people to bear spiritual fruit. And so we should keep growing. Let me challenge you to keep growing this year. Don't let the busyness of the holidays, don't let COVID, don't let anything else keep you from growing in your spiritual life this year. Additionally, that parable reminds us of the power of intercession on behalf of someone. As the brother was stating, we're here because someone interceded for us and shared the gospel, shared Christ with us. I'm here because many teachers taught me in RAs. Many teachers taught me in Sunday school. Many leaders had me in vacation Bible school. And during that time, it didn't set in in my life, but they were faithful to do it. And they kept watering a seed that was planted in my life. And my father made church a priority in our life. And eventually, when I turned 20 years old, I had a pastor who kept preaching Jesus to me until it made sense. Here and here. And I became a follower of Christ. Folks, let me challenge you, don't don't give up on your intercession. Don't give up teaching your class. Whoever's got them old rowdy boys and working with those squealy girls, you just keep doing it. You be faithful to teach. You faithful to study. Faithful in your Sunday school classes because you are watering seeds that may grow later. You keep interceding on their behalf. And lastly, that parable reminds us that we don't have all the time in the world, that we are on borrowed time, so we should give and live our best life for Jesus. Let's keep growing. Let's keep interceding for others. And let's give and live all that we have to Jesus. Pastor. And we thank you and your family for all that you do, all that you've done, all the sacrifices that you have made behind the scenes that Nobody except for your family and God himself knows. But we recognize uh, and honor you for fulfilling your call upon upon your lives and the way that God has, has gifted you and your family and has called you to be a light to the nations. So thank you. Thank you so much. And again, immediately following service. Uh, if you would like to know how you can get involved and maybe be interested in going on a trip, uh, out in the fellowship hall, we'll have a meeting immediately following service for that information. And I know maybe there are some of you here, maybe there are some of you who have never been on an international mission trip, and God's been dealing with your heart about getting out of your comfort zone. This may be exactly what God is calling and leading you to. And we do praise that, pray that God will raise up missionaries from our church family, from our local faith family here, that God would continue to raise up missionaries and, and we would be faithful in sending them out to accomplish God's will. Because the time is short, shorter than we probably realize. And the end is coming. Only God knows exactly when, but that end is coming. We also recognize from the Bible what that end entails. It will will be that the redeemed 
from all the nations will be unified in eternal worship. That's what we have to look forward to. The redeemed from all the nations will all be unified. It'll be one group, one family, one one special people from all the nations gathered together worshiping God. God's not going to look out and say, even though the Bible talks about all the tribes and all the nations, but God's not going to look out and say, well, this person is from this tribe and this person is from this nation, and so they're going to hang out with these people, and these people are going to hang out with these people. No, no, we're going to be in in unity together, one together, worshiping. Listen to Matthew chapter 24, verse 14. And this gospel of the kingdom will be proclaimed throughout the whole world as a testimony to all nations, and then the end will come. The nations will all hear, and then the end will will come. That's a promise. This is not metaphoric. This is, this is why we want to go out. We want to, we want to complete the work of God here. We want to spread his message because we understand that when this gospel is preached to all the nations, then the end will come. And God only knows when that moment is. Way back in the book of Haggai, and, and, and I've been thinking, maybe I should go back and I should, I don't know the last time that you, we had a sermon series on Haggai. Probably never. You say, I've never been in a church where there was a sermon series on Haggai. But, but you find that the temple is being rebuilt and God makes a promise. And he makes, and so many times in the Bible when God makes a promise, there is a, or a prophecy or a promise, there's a near fulfillment. Now, I don't mean near as in the sense of, he nearly got it right and then missed it. We're talking about near in the terms of time, something that happens very soon after the prophecy. But there is a near fulfillment often, and there's a distant fulfillment of that same prophecy. Something that God may fulfill at the moment may also be pointing towards something he's going to fulfill in a much grander way in the future. And in the book of Haggai, there is one of those. Haggai chapter 2, verse 7. I will shake all nations so that the treasures of all nations shall come in, and I will fill this house with glory, says the Lord of hosts. So God is saying that this temple he is going to fill with his glory, and he's going to shake up all the nations, and then his house will be filled with glory. And we find that it will be a testimony to all nations. And, and he's going to fill this house with his glory because all the, the treasure of all the nations will come in. So you find that near fulfillment back in the day, back when this was written shortly thereafter, but you also find that whenever Jesus enters into this temple, we find that Jesus is bringing the glory of God himself into the temple because he is God. But then not only that, it looks forward. It looks way forward to the end of all time where God is shaking all the nations. Can you just think about what you've seen lately on the news feeds? Think about what you've been seeing on the headlines. Think about how God is shaking all the nations. All the nations are being shaken up. The world is being prepared for that 
ultimate finalization of all things, when God is going to bring all things back under the authority, the rule, the reign of his son as king. And he's moving all things toward that. And once again, all nations will be brought together. People from all nations will be brought in unified worship of the one true king of the universe. And we, as followers of Christ, we get to experience those first tastes of that as we join together in unified worship. Listen to the book of Ephesians. Paul writes in Ephesians 2.17, And he came and preached peace to you who were far off, that's the Gentiles, and peace to those who were near, that's the Jewish nation. So those who were close, they weren't in yet, but they were close. They had all the promises of the Old Testament. They had the knowledge of the one true God. So they were near. The Gentiles, those who were dwelling in the land of darkness and the shadow of death, they were far. And he says that Jesus came and preached peace, preached that that no longer having enmity with God, that, that wall that's been broken down, that wall that, that was in place, this, this place for, because of our sin that we were declared enemies of God himself, whether they were close or whether we were far. He says that Jesus preaches peace. He preaches that reconciliation, being brought back into a right relationship with God himself. And he preaches that to both those who were far off, the Gentiles, and those who were near, the Jews. And then he says this in Ephesians 2.18, For through him, through Christ, we both have access in one spirit to the Father. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. You realize that? That among the nations we were, we were so far away from God. The Bible says that we were without hope in the world. And yet Christ came to us. Christ came to us. We were far off. We didn't have a, we didn't have a, a free pass simply because we were Americans. We didn't have a free pass simply because we were born in a Christian family. I, I had a guy tell me one time. He said, well, I know I'm a Christian because my mom and dad were Christians. I was born into a Christian family, so therefore I'm a Christian. I said, well, I mean, if you were born in a garage, would you be a car? No. It doesn't work. It has to be a personal relationship. It has to be personal surrender to Christ himself. And so we find that God's plan is so that this would be known among the nations, and the ultimate goal is so that all people, people from all different nations, will be gathered together in unified worship one day as Jesus reigns as king over all things. We see that's the end. Revelation chapter 7, verse 9. Listen to this beautiful picture of heaven. After this, I looked, and behold, a great multitude that no one could number, from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes with palm branches in their hands, and crying out with a loud voice, salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. And all the angels were standing around the throne and around the elders and the, and the four living creatures. And they fell on their faces before the throne and worshiped God saying, amen. Blessing and glory and wisdom and thanksgiving and honor and pray and power and might be to our God forever and ever. Amen. That's the image of heaven. 
Many years ago, at the last church where I, where I worked, we had an annual Christmas program. And it started in the church, and it, it was a multi-night Christmas kind of play musical celebration that started in the church, and it went from the church, and it, it got so big that they moved it downtown to the Tennessee Theater, and then it outgrew the Tennessee Theater, and uh, when it was still going, we were having it at Thompson Bowling Arena there in Knoxville at the, on the UT campus. And so we would have five performances, and people would just pack Thompson Bowling Arena for this performance. And I remember one time I was directing the biblical part of the drama. We had a modern-day drama, and then we had a biblical side of it, and we interwove them together. And so I was the, the director for the biblical drama. And as you can imagine, uh, an event that size, we had 900 cast and crew members. An event that size, it would go well into the night with a lot of the rehearsals. And we were there one evening there at Thompson Bowling Arena, and we, we would always end with this incredible depiction of heaven. People clothed in white robes, Jesus on the throne, angels flying from the ceiling. I mean, it was just an incredible, incredible tableau of just this incredible pageantry of, of, of and the, the amazing overwhelmingness of, of seeing this sort of glorious depiction. And that's just a, a, a sliver of what it's going to be like. It doesn't even do justice to the glories of heaven, but it was the best we could accomplish. And I remember that we were getting well into the evening, well close to midnight with all of these rehearsals. And we were there in the middle of Thompson Bowling Arena. And I remember the worship uh, pastor came to me and he said, I know that a lot of your people waiting on the heaven scene, I know they've been here for a few hours, but we're not going to have time to run the heaven scene tonight. You, can you just tell them to just go home and we'll just come back tomorrow and do that? And I said, man, they've been here since, many of them since 6 o'clock this evening. They've been waiting to do this heaven scene. And I said, so we got to do the heaven scene. And he said, well, okay, we'll, we'll set up for the heaven scene, but can, can everybody who's involved in heaven, can they be ready, say, in the next five minutes? I thought, sure. I didn't know if they could, but I said, sure. So I, I got on the mic and I told everybody, I said, it doesn't matter what you're dressed as. It doesn't matter what other part in the program that you play. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter what, what's going on right now. If you're wearing your street clothes or whatever, we do not have time for you to go backstage and change into the all white, but we need for everybody to run this, run this particular scene so that we will know where you need to be and you can at least have some exposure to it. So you have five minutes, five minutes, be on your mark, and we're going to start the scene. I'll never forget. I was standing up on a high point of the stage watching it unfold. And when the moment came for all of heaven's citizens to come in, that year we had done a 
kind of a modern day drama about a, a daughter who was a prodigal and had, had wandered away from, from the life that her parents had desired for her. And, and there were some, she had gotten involved with the wrong crowd and she hadn't gotten involved with some, some prostitutes and some other people. And then, and then we had, we had some, some thugs that were, that were kind of involved in this, in this gang sequence and all sorts of other stuff, you know? And so we were just retelling the prodigal son in a way. And then we had all the hosts of everybody else who played biblical roles as well. And I remember when we gave the cue and heaven citizens came down those aisles and crowded around the throne. I remember seeing the the guy who was playing Jesus at that time. He's sitting on the throne. He's looking down. And I had stepped up there on the throne to watch everything happen. That's, that's not my position during the, during the performance, but I needed to watch it. So I'm here at the right hand of Jesus watching all of this unfold. And as I'm watching, there's a prostitute coming to bow down next to a shepherd. And there's one of the wise men coming and bowing down next to a gang member. There's there's this other shepherd coming in and bowing down next to one of the disciples. And we've got Lazarus, who'd been resurrected. He's still wearing his grave clothes. And Lazarus comes in. And you have some of these Jewish children who are there. And I'm looking out at all these people gathered around the throne of Christ. And I'm not ashamed to say, I just stood there. And I just wept. And I thought, that's it. That's that's what this verse looks like. It's people from all different backgrounds. It's people from all different life experiences. It's people from all different nations. And they are all together bowing down before the throne. Not what they once were, but it was like there was like this little glimpse of, of what all of these different lives, all of these different backgrounds, all of these different struggles, all of these different places they came from. And they're all on their knees and they're all crying out, holy, holy, holy. And that's just a glimpse. I remember at the end of the scene, everybody's still there. They're waiting for the dismissal cue. And I remember the worship pastor walked up. He was standing there at the edge of the the steps. And he clicked on his mic and he said, well, Dustin, will that do for you? And I remember looking down at him and clicking on my mic and just nodding and saying, oh, yeah, yeah, that'll more than do. Yeah. And I still think about that moment when I read this passage we just read. After this, I looked and behold a great multitude that no one could number from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes, with palm branches in their hands, crying out with a loud voice, salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. Notice what they're praising him for. Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne. When you give, go, pray, send, you are a part of of this process 
that ultimately leads to people before the throne of Christ, before the throne of God, before the heavenly throne, the King of Kings saying, salvation belongs to you. And we, we have experienced that gift. We've experienced the gift of salvation that comes through the gospel because your heart is one that is for the nations. I want to close with a quote by a man named George Ladd that I think is very appropriate given everything we just talked about. He wrote, God alone knows the definition of terms. I cannot precisely define who all the nations are, but I do not need to know. I only know one thing. Christ has not yet returned. Therefore, the task is not yet done. When it is done, Christ will come. Our responsibility is not to insist on defining the terms. Our responsibility is to complete the task. So long as Christ does not return, our work is undone. Let us get busy and complete our mission. Let us get busy and complete our mission. That's God's call to us, to go and make disciples of all the nations. How is that accomplished? By the gospel, because salvation belongs to the Lord. Let's pray. Lord God, as we come before you, God, we recognize that the power that you're your word has, the power of the gospel outstrips any human understanding, even any human reasoning. Lord God, it is by your power, it is by your spirit that you bring conviction. It is by your spirit that you bring understanding of your truth. And so, Father, as we've spoken of the nations today, we've spoken of the power of the gospel, we recognize that that is the means by which people come to a saving knowledge of you. It is through Jesus Christ and Jesus Christ alone. Jesus, fully God, fully man, came and lived a perfect life, a perfectly sinless life. He lived as as a sacrificial substitute for us. He died as a sacrificial substitute for us. He took our place on the cross. He died a sinner's death, a death he did not deserve, but every single one of us did deserve because our sin has separated us from you. And the wages of sin is death. We deserve an eternity in hell away from you. That's what the penalty of sin warrants. But yet in your mercy, in your grace, because of your great love with which you loved us, even when we were your enemies, when we were separated from you, you sent your son. And he died in our place. But he didn't stay dead. On the third day, he was resurrected to life. And if we trust in him, if we surrender our lives to him, 
If we forsake our sin, we repent, we turn away from our sin and ourself and turn toward Christ alone, then we will be saved. Father, we thank you for that truth. We're thankful for all the people here today who have made that decision and have surrendered their lives to following Christ. Father, I pray if there's someone here this morning that has never made that decision, that today would be the day. Today would be the day that they would say to you, God, forgive me, for I am a sinner. I surrender my life to Christ. I want to live for Christ alone. Not my sin, not myself, but I want to live for him. Forgive me. Change me. Make me one of your children. Father, you will do just that. Father, we pray that you would deal with our hearts and our minds in such a way that we would we would reflect upon, think on, and actively pursue what you would have each one of us to do to make the name of Christ known among the nations. That we would recognize the gift that has been given to us the incredible gift of salvation and recognizing the value of it and recognizing that we cannot keep it to ourselves because that's not your plan. Your plan is for us to spread the gospel of Christ and make him known. And I pray that we would do just that, not only as individuals, not only as families, but as a church, Father. I pray that we would be a people known for making Jesus known among the nations. We give ourselves to you now, Father, during this time of decision. Whatever spiritual decision that needs to be made during this time that would bring you the most honor and glory, whatever next step of faith that anyone here needs to make to be in obedience to you, to express our love and our desire to be in the center of your will, I pray that you might grant us the boldness to do just that. And we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.